Welcome back to the War Horse Podcast, episode lucky number 13, coming to you on Sunday, December 5th, a very interesting day in history for many of us. I hope you're doing well. I have for you... Yet another episode focused in the main on practicalities. I've got um, what should be a legendary criminal of purpose combo offering for you. I have determined that in terms of gear... There's just, uh, it's just an ongoing conversation. The last one was a bit of an overview, and so I think what I will do is, given my ambivalence towards order, and yet the need to spin against the way I drive, um, I will attempt to, to focus on one or two particular items. And, um, and if we have to do another overview for specific kit, you know, a tracking kit, um, go bag, what have you, things that I feel uh, fairly uh, adept with, you know, to provide some commentary, opinions, um, if not expertise. And uh, subsequent segments after the free first hour are likewise going to continue this vein on um, the practical. And we're going to pick up the collapse thread again from another angle, a few other angles. Okay. For um, newcomers... The website is goldengoatguild.net. Same Golden Goat Guild handle on Instagram. Patreon is where you can support everything I'm doing. And um, if you cannot support for whatever reason, um, I understand. If you would help by getting the word out that's actually a really a big deal and I greatly appreciate it you wouldn't imagine or you you may I don't know but um trying to carve out a little space on the internet uh the current internet is not particularly straightforward or easy so your shares your likes 
your comments with your friends or what have you it all is uh, greatly appreciated with that out of the way I will add that for subscribers I am still um, formulating and lining up uh, an addendum episode it may be an addendum to this episode as well just depending but there's a few items in there that it was quite a week uh, personally no excuses but I want to I want to do do the topics justice and I and I want to retain them for subscribers there's some information in there that doesn't necessarily you know it's not exactly classified but it, it doesn't necessarily need to be broadcast out to every dipshit who may uh, take a fancy to the whatever the seraphim graphic or what who knows so there's that um, moving along there was a very good question about something called the hill people gear kit bag this is a chest pouch with its own harness mesh on the back one and a half or two inch webbing shoulder straps and then straps under your pits they have a few versions uh, slim to to big daddy um, I don't think I've ever tried their huge one but uh, I've tried I think most of the others I use this I have used it for a variety of things um, running solo in you know parks and whatnot in fall when you can maybe wear a little jacket that helps to stabilize it you can purchase like bungee stabilizers to enable less jostling while you're running um, I've not tried that I'm not at a certain point my, my decision-making matrix says I'd rather just carry the pistol in my hand and scare some people um, than deal with you know the whole intricacies of donning and doffing some elaborate suspension system for this thing or what I generally do is just uh, go with the Winkler you know the kit bag it seems to me was designed as a way to carry a pistol in the woods but not have it on your belt as you may know A day pack and a belt-borne pistol is all right. It's not great. For any, any kind of distance, it's going to rub in. You know, your holster uh, is going to make contact, if it's in the 4 o'clock position, with the lower part of your backpack, most likely. It's also going to make it a little bit difficult to access. And... Appendix is is good. I do. I've talked about it before. I think maybe not, but the Enigma from whoever these guys are, 
not the greatest um, business name in my opinion ever conceived but PHLSTR like Folster um, they have this thing it's I hesitate always to use the word revolutionary or but if it, it really is so far in my testing very solid somebody will eventually make a workaround for the thigh garter type piece to even if that's just a uh, some type of clip you know that I can reach down the front of my pants unclip it so that I can take the whole thing off without dropping my pants um, and we'll get into this a little bit more you know why do I need to drop my pants etc back to the the kit bag well we'll finish that thought I mean appendix is superior in my opinion um, for just about everything and that would include walking but the difference between the Enigma and an appendix holster is at least comparable as far as the difference between any other belt-borne mode um, it just changes the way that your pants situate themselves and where you you have access you can slide your piece all around um, to make comfort I have not tested it with running so I don't know other people have the reports were good if you had some sweatpants I would imagine you know a little elastic holding it right in place it might be ideal for the right pistol back to the kit bag um, Hill People Gear is they're out of Colorado and they're both the owners I believe they're brothers are very um, experienced woodsmen scout sort of guys and hunters and I've followed them and purchased their products for I believe since before they had way before they had a brick and mortar and I think even before they had they might have had a website but they've made some innovative stuff and personally while I wound up with Kifaro that might just be because I had already sort of mentally psychologically attached myself there and found absolutely no reason to leave um, and you know we could say Kifaro did take a stab maybe even the, one of the first stabs at some type of chest rig I think there was theirs was called the koala it was quite a bit larger as I recall it would have been the big daddy and I didn't I didn't get into it because it was too big and then I think I first sampled what they call the slim kit bag from Hill People Gear specifically because it would have allowed me to very easily carry basically just a pistol and nothing else where for for that time and what I was doing day to day that was just fine at this point I think I've given away most of them um, people see them they immediately want them 
and uh, I have one dedicated mostly, you know, for really for grizzly territory. Um, that's where my Glock Model 40 with 18 rounds of buffalo bore hard cast 10 millimeter extra magazine headlamp uh, a little tiny life straw kit some cordage lighter compass and a leatherman I believe that's all that's in there and um that that works well for me because if I know that I'm in that country I can grab that kit look through it replenish it if need be throw it in the truck and that's that's taken care of you may be asking yourself so how would that work with a possibles bag um, it just works in conjunction so that's what I, I mean by replenish I may I may take the Leatherman out of the kit bag and leave it in the truck. There's really no reason to carry two Leathermans the way that I use them anyway, which as we've said, I just keep them. I will use the saw or the other little tools, you know, uh, screwdriver, whatever, but I don't touch that blade if I can help it. I want it to be as close to sterile as can be, and I want that edge to be factory new I think that sort of covers the kit bag if they work I will add that they work pretty well for um, ad hoc sort of stuff I mean I have another one that is not set up that's sort of maybe for that purpose though my wife has sort of claimed it as well. Um, if you wanted, you know, you're in an area where you would normally wear a light jacket. Um, for some reason, you wanted to not carry a pistol on your belt somewhere, on your waist, etc. It may be an option. Um, it comes off pretty quickly. Two, two snap buckles. Yank it off. But overall, I, I consider it pretty essential because as we were sort of, we just barely grazed the surface of it, carrying a pistol in the woods with a real backpack presents some problems. If you have a Molly belt, Kifaro makes them, Mystery Ranch makes them, uh, certainly Hill People Gear will make them and I believe JM Custom Kydex serviced those companies for a while offering some type of Kydex holster usually for a bear gun um, but they would probably make them for anything so your pistol would be there the reason I don't go that route is manifold reasons I suppose but twofold at least um, I already have enough weight around my waist if you know how to wear 
backpack and you know and there are conflicting opinions even and you'd think that this this would be one of those things that science or a hundred thousand dollars of testing would have ultimately uh, concluded for you but there's still I still see differing opinions on you know how to load a rucksack where you want the weight etc I think that it's going to be a some something of a case by case basis and based off of what pack you are using another reason why I favor Kifaro is you know as far as testing goes and as far as where that weight is going to ultimately come down on shoulders low back legs they've tested the living shit out of it and I think they've got it about as dialed as we're going to get until we get exoskeletons. So I also want that real estate on my belt. I tend to put general purpose type pouches down there. Military guys will certainly understand the thinking. If you take your pack off for a rest of some sort, it's generally wise to have quick access to the things that you might need. Water, tobacco, ammo, snacks, maybe even your, um, your whole meal prep kit, stove, food, what have you. Maybe not. Just depends on how you fuel yourself, I suppose. Um... So I will use those jump those those general sort of pouches. By the way, I, I do go with the Hill People Gear um, belt pouches. They're slim. They're not you know too giant, so you're not tempted to pack them full of all sorts of sh- extra shit. But it's enough that you can have um, some tobacco, uh, some water purification tablets. Maybe you like your compass down there couple of snacks your cell phone perhaps what have you um, they're not huge so they're again not adding a lot of weight um, the other reason you know back to the kit bag the draw is in terms of drawing the pistol it, it takes a little bit of practice you can carry with one in the pipe they offer one of those real minimalistic holsters on a tether that just covers the trigger guard. So when that pistol comes out, the, the little, for lack of a better term, holster uh, pops off and, and you can go. And it's safe to carry all day, you know, pointing at your, your spleen or whatever. another another big advantage there um not a big huge deal to go into the woods with weapons exposed having the option though you know to eliminate your daily carry which let's face it it's it's built more for sitting in the car walking to the office walking to the gym into the store these sorts of things um 
I personally too, I've this is just a side note, but I've always looked at Japanese like traditional clothing for men. I'm talking about kimonos, you know, samurai outfits. And um, while European fashion is beautiful, uh, when, you know, in the traditional sense, um, the way people dressed even up to, I mean, the 60s, if you were an old timer in the 60s and you had a little money, you know, you were looking good. All this is to say, though, that the belt in particular, while I like belts, I mean, they look great uh, if you're in shape. And, you know, if you were to do an aesthetic sort of study on the human form and where the belt line is and all of the form, you know, um, it's tough to argue against in terms of an aesthetic presentation and we're we're like I mean other countries have adopted the suit so it's almost kind of it's a fantasy I'll just admit it it's a fantasy to say I would like it if there were a way to wear traditional Japanese clothing which is to me it looks like having never been to Japan or discussed this with anyone who would actually know it looks to be a very wide sort of belt, like 10 inches, um, right down to the groin, and then up above the belly button. And then this big sash thing is tied in the back, you know, big billowing pants. As a man who likes to move a lot, and who's only worked in an office, I think, but, but once or twice, as far as uh, jobs, I did I did manage to last more than two days, but um, you get the point. Yeah, it's it's a fanciful notion, but um, all of these workarounds and life experience and such has just led me to the opinion that it may have been a superior design in terms of human well-being you know all things considered aesthetics I mean it's still uh, super aesthetic you know the whole uh, like top piece I don't know what they call it a coat and um, the pants this belt piece you know you can situate your your swords or your knives properly um the restriction on this area where you have the vena cava, right? This damn near garden hose size vein and the corresponding artery running directly from your heart down into your crotch and cinching up a belt on top of your organs has never seemed to me like a really great idea. Yeah, you got to hold your pants up. Yeah, a belt versus suspenders um, or overalls, you know, you can do a lot more and it looks better. I don't think suspenders, other than kind of a, you know, cheeky, quirky, once in a while sort of 
outfit. So I don't know, you know, if I if I'm ever called to wear really custom fancy clothes, I may have to try the sort of clothing. If you recall the movie, um, a river runs through it. They wore pants and suspenders that seemed to me to be very functional, durable, but you could do a lot of movement in them. If I could somehow couple this with the Enigma, which eliminates the whole need for a belt, but I can still carry a pistol, probably super comf- uh, comfortably in the appendix position, which is what I favor, um, you know, maybe that's what I would go for. But that was not a digression that I anticipated. We were about to take the step into holsters, though, and a few considerations. So we're in the right general area. Um, As best I can recall, I have carried... I've predominantly favored Glocks for a long, long time. I've carried... um, a Beretta 92. I have carried... What else? Well, a Glock 34 uh, was my main for... um, I would say most of my time carrying. Oh, Browning High Power. That was interesting. And I've, I've experimented with the tiny um, Glocks, you know, the single stack. Personally, I'd just rather have more gun. And I'm not a fat guy, so I don't, nor do I, you know, really care to give a lot of commentary on the um, difficulties of carrying a pistol for fat guys. Like, talk about the lack of the warrior's way. Um, do whatever you want. Certainly, uh, for American American market, there's there's people who want to buy stuff based on their disgusting, distended belly, and uh, companies will will supply them. But um, for those of us those of us who are in shape and who feel called to to carry a real gun, let's say. Like a single stack, yeah, it's a real gun. A revolver's a real gun. Um, I'm, I, w- I would never deign to, you know, step on the toes of opinions legitimately more experienced um, and probably more worthy in this regard than myself. You know, many people uh, in the Shiv Works circles wind up favoring a J-frame revolver for... For the purposes, for a variety of reasons. One, it's smaller. Usually it's lighter. You don't have the issue of the slide potentially getting locked up and disabling an an auto-loading pistol. You can put the muzzle right up to whatever you want and yank on the trigger. This is a very important consideration, and um, I may not I may be in the market for something like this myself. I have carried uh, a couple Smith & Wessons over the years. 
model 19 I believe and I've I find myself pretty pretty regularly considering going back to something like that so for now it's the SIG 230 and you know 500 rounds of um, armor piercing green tip in my truck I carry that SIG in um, the Enigma I forget who made the shell you do have some difficulty with regard to the Enigma at this point it's very it's very new uh, finding an appropriate shell I got lucky and modified one but if you carry an old defunct pistol like that um, you might have to search around for the shell the shell is essentially just what you'd think of as the holster the kydex piece and the enigma rides on top of that and provides all of these other advantages check it out no they're not um, sponsoring but they should i'd be i really do believe in that product and um they might there might like i said earlier be some some improvements over the years there are a few things that could be rejiggered but overall you know 95 97% of that design i have to say it's pretty pretty impressive um so anyway favoring uh, a revolver for certain applications very much makes sense and anybody who tells you you know there's this gun and that's it is is pretty silly um, Paul Sharp who as we say on this podcast has built more Batman than any 10 dudes that you may know as far as I know, he, he varies between Glocks and the Beretta 92, or some, some modified version of the 92. That's a big-ass gun, and he's one of, the, one of the most important central architects of that whole system of thinking and fighting and approaching conflict. So... Perhaps it would be good to have a discussion in the near future with Paul. We're still working on interviews. This has proved to be a bit of a clusterfuck, but um, there are invitations out and exceptions made, exceptions to to those invites, and we're working out the, the technical aspect. Just as a side note, some tests have been run, and they suck, so... We're going to run some more tests. And because I'm really, really not the sort of person to show up to the event and not know my business. So for that reason, you know, it's, it's a project. It's, it's, a, it's a work in progress. That side note aside... There's nothing wrong, in my opinion, uh, with carrying at 4 o'clock. 
Um, for that matter, you know, there might even be an application for the shoulder holster. You can draw a shoulder holster, you know, from, from that holster safely. You could train to do it. I'm not doing it. I'm not recommending it. It's just, you know, a silly observation that what you carry and how you carry, even though everybody says this, is very personal. Um, yet most people seem to wind up with either appendix carry, some type of fanny pack off body carry, or four o'clock. I carried four o'clock for many years. Um, I was hesitant to go to appendix for the simple reason that it really, you know, first glance, it looks like there's a high probability of blowing your balls off. And if you still want to procreate um, and produce testosterone, it seems like a bad idea. I finally um, purchased some type of holster, I don't recall, to begin experimenting with it and training on it. And eventually I realized, um, given a super high quality holster and a skill set that is concomitant with awareness sufficient to the responsibility entailed, you know, at the beginning with carrying a weapon, particularly a firearm, it, uh, it's kind of a non-issue. In some ways, it may even be safer than four o'clock. Not to go into those weeds right now, but there's a moment, you know, right when you draw from four o'clock where it, I mean, it's tenths of a second, if even that, where in a vehicle, certainly, you know, in the clinch, I think the fate, everything starts to lean towards appendix carry. But moving even, say, in a store, you know, among aisles and maybe you're being pushed around, uh, whatever the environment has presented, you now have this need to make space behind your body with your elbow you can wiggle around and, you know, contort yourself and still get to a four o'clock position. Um, but it's ugly and it, it could be somewhat hazardous, you know, are there still hazards? Can you present per, you know, perfectly? Yes. Um, it's not to say that there's ever, you know, that there's one final solution. Um, However, appendix, just being that it's at your center line, allows for um, a tight, um, you seem to be able to just, it, I mean, you can retain it with both hands, right? It's, it's right in front of you. You can look down and see it. I think that it's hard to argue against that placement. It's unfortunate that you can't just move your junk, your goodies to the side or what have you. I do favor 
a little knot right over my balls, like not exactly in the center. I move slightly offline to the right, and then I adjust the cant basically to zero. Maybe there's a few degrees there, but um, given my torso length, the length of my arms, which is sort of long, um, and that seems to be the sweet spot where if, pardon me, God for, forbid there were an issue I, I will hopefully thread that needle between both my femoral artery and my nuts. But when you play around with it a little bit, you start to realize that the way you can even run a dowel, you know, through your pistol and, and find this out. Um, in certain seated situations, you are going to be pointed at your balls. But a lot of the time, moving, walking, standing, at least the way that I hold my carriage, it's not pointed at anything. It's pointed right past everything into the floor. So as, as said again, and with all of this gear stuff, you can very easily get, get all wrapped up in it. And I think that's why some of us like it. You know, there's, there's a, a kind of ongoing joy, a pleasure even, in identifying these potential weakness, weaknesses, what have you, and um, solving for them. Personally, maybe for the market. Um, in the end, as has been said, you know, paying attention to the very small things is important as well. That's, you know, the quick and dirty of my experience with Appendix and 4 o'clock. The companies I favor for holsters are few. JM Custom Kydex is the best that I've ever found. Everything, I've had several, they're fantastic um, in every possible way. They might take a little bit longer to get there, but I think... They are big enough now that they've sorted out their whatever supply issues or production issues, you know, affect small companies, and it's automatic now. Dark Star Gear um, is another one. They use the real. I, I think you can. There are options for your your type of attachment. Standard is that huge spring steel sort of clip, which you may really like. I prefer um, the strut, the metal strut style clips, personally. Um, but as said, I've moved on to the Enigma, and part of that process is removing those struts and attaching in a different manner. But there are, I think those are the only holsters that I own now. I've tried, you know, all the, the classic FUD brands, uh, leather, and ultimately this is what I've arrived at. And the leather, I never really got into much. Some of the issues with it collapsing, you know, potentially while you are reholstering, were resolved, I think, by a few companies, but I was on to Kydex by the time that came around and I couldn't necessarily 
provide you with any sort of useful opinion on leather. Um, where are we at here? 39 minutes. I'm going to take a sip of my beverage. good and pivot very slightly over to the topic of the backup gun so I um, am aware that there are training protocols and programs related to certain very hush hush um, units and the like wherein you can you can get some very tricky stuff maybe regarding uh, very small revolvers Ed's Manifesto and others have, have done some work in this and I have not trained with anybody specifically on the backup gun so these are my opinions having worked it out on my own and uh the SIG 230 was originally picked up as a backup gun. Would it be ideal to have magazines and calibers that matched for both your primary and a backup gun? Yes. But then you're like, you're sort of left with something along the lines of Glock 19, 17, 34 in front, and then a Glock 19 in the back. So you got a lot of, a lot of gun going on there with the little glocks right the, the mags don't interchange so it makes you wonder you know what is the purpose of a backup gun it's there are a couple good reasons kind of traditional reasons you just ran out of ammo what have you I think in the modern discussion regarding gunfights, close quarters involving knives, um, jiu-jitsu is very, it's not, you know, extremely common, but a lot of dudes have some skill with it. And... Hopefully, you know, you're not going to tangle with one of them. But in the evolving conversation, I believe that there, that's part of, you know, that's an element to it. They can't be denied. You're always presented with a situation of trying to develop some sort of coherent system, as with the interchangeable magazines, etc., at the same time, you're, all, you're also presented with an always unknown encounter. And probably a lot of the reason that very skilled and um, thoughtful people wind up with a very, you know, a bone stock Glock 17 full capacity, maybe a couple extras and a backup magazine and call it good. Because in this decision-making matrix, the weight that I got to carry and lug around every single day, the difficulty of 
are the you know the sort of tediousness of donning doffing presenting from one position or another maintaining it and then to say nothing of accuracy reliability what have you So, over time, I can't say that, you know, what I'm going to say is in any way an irrefutable, you know, syllogism of uh, martial philosophy. It's rather an ongoing experiment, which is what I tend to believe most things I do are anyway. Um you know, in, in finding a sweet spot between being capable, being comfortable, being safe, um, and then whatever logistic issues we each have. The 230, I've moved over as a primary basically because it's very lightweight. It's a very good pistol. It's phenomenally accurate. Is it um, a weak-ass caliber? Yeah, kind of. And is its capacity paltry compared to a full-stack Glock? Yep. However, that is what, you know, in this, when you're told in, like, Conceal Carry 101 uh, down at the sheriff's office or the strip mall or wherever you guys got yours um hopefully you know the fud who gave you the that first lecture gave some credence to this idea that you do have to arrive at something that works for you do you have kids are you really that safe if you're not that safe and you're not training um hopefully you're not listening to this podcast but a lot of these a lot of you know the mass of of opinions is being filtered through various considerations like that so anyway i decided to forgo the 230 as a backup gun what i have always had not always but for 10 more than 10 years as a dedicated backup gun is the c camp 32 teeny tiny noisy cricket little pistol it has no sights it has some peculiarities it's all metal it's very nice it's very well made i mean on par with the best you know production guns it's finicky uh with ammo you need i believe there are like two types of ammo that it will reliably feed Um, which may, you know, that right away is going to be concerning to a lot of people. I can tell you that given the right ammo, there are no feeding issues. What I can also tell you is that there are a variety of holsters available. Um, I've had three. I think I still have three. There's like a front pocket, almost like a wave. There's, you know, a little hook that you can reach into your front pocket, produce this pistol, hook that leather piece on the edge of your pocket, and it will be retained. I have a teeny tiny little Kydex 
belt holster for it. Um, but the, neither of those has ever come in particularly handy. What has come in handy is a holster that has a square wallet size piece of leather in the back and then a molded piece of leather in the front to retain the pistol. And it works just like a wallet. The whole thing is about the size of a wallet. You drop it in your back pocket. When you want to draw, your fingers are on the outside of the fabric, your thumb drops into the pocket, pulls the pistol up, it comes right out, present no problem. Uh, 32 caliber, again, no sights, there's virtually no applicability beyond, um, I mean, you could, you know, just point and shoot out whatever seven yards or something, but we're talking very close in is what it, you know, this is what it was designed for. I have not found a J-frame that quite does the same thing. If there were a revolver that was small enough to to do the same operation with, um, I'd probably just switch over. Because, again, of this issue with the reciprocating slide potentially being hung up. Um, I believe that there are some very minor considerations built into this particular pistol with regard to this hang-up issue. One, there's no sights. And two, I believe that the, uh, the frame is recessed just enough to allow for, and it's not like a blowback style or whatever where the the barrel is going to move. So that's, you know, in it, to, it, to its credit, that's a plus. Um, where it really starts to shine is in practical reality. If you have to run some errands, a mixed day of errands, if you need to go have a professional meeting, if you got to go to the store, you got to go to the gym... Um, again, you know, back to this side note about Japanese, um, clothing, traditional Japanese clothing, you, with that big sash, man, you could tuck anything in there. I don't know, something to consider. I'm, I have thought about, you know, what would it take to alter the course of, uh, Western European fashion? I don't think it's possible, but maybe you just have to let your freak flag fly as the hippies say and uh, do it but as I was saying so practicality you have this one unit there's no separate holster apparatus shit tied to you it's just one little unit so I can take the whole pistol and wallet remove it from my back pocket drop it in the console go to the post office come back out, grab it, stuff it back in, and go about my business always with something. And yes, even in the post office, you know, there's something. 
but I have found this to be a huge a huge advantage in terms of never going without something if you give it a shot you will see we could I could sit here and devote five or ten minutes to all of the various times but in reality you know the world that we live in is not predict particular particularly um, conducive and this is all all these you know legal reasons political reasons clothing reasons on and on and on it may just boil down to this this one aspect that I can grab it with I don't have to worry about my belt and some clip getting hung up and picking up my shirt and hopefully you know nobody will see when I pull out this enormous blaster nobody sees anything people see you taking your wallet out of your back pocket if they even see that the draw um, reliability accuracy quality all of those things are very solid and it really you know where where does it apply it applies in the one-on-one maybe one-on-two close encounter in the clinch it definitely applies in any sort of situation where you are accosted you are caught unawares and someone asks for your wallet there was this FBI study how reliable it is in, in reality we don't know but we have this information we know that the people who who did well of the three categories were the ones who pulled a pistol and immediately went all in and the people who coughed up the wallet and were completely compliant the middle ground people who presented some type of resistance apparently got fucked up the most they were either killed or savagely beaten so what I have arrived at is a tiny little wallet just barely big enough for credit cards driver's license some cash in the front pocket either one sometimes it's left sometimes it's right most of the times it's it's right because the winkler which is one of the reasons i want to kind of pare down the size of this winkler sheath um because it it basically occupies that whole pocket right now which is okay you can see though the value of something like the c camp if you decide okay if, I think that if I give this guy my wallet because he caught me with my pants down here he's still going to fuck me up so I'm just going to have to fight right now right here he's got he's already got the draw this would be a very interesting I've not seen it played out and I've not played it out myself um, but if you go for your wallet 
and you come up with a pistol firing, maybe you got to time it when that dude looks the other way or maybe you provide a diversion of some sort with your left hand. You know, okay, okay, just give me a second. Let me work this out here. Reach back, blade your body, maybe make an advance towards presumably his right side with your left hand where his pistol is and go to work. There are presumably many more ways to go about things. This is just one. Uh, Would work fairly well in the vehicle as well. Though in the vehicle, we're back to this constantly evolving matrix of considerations etc. If you are in the market for a backup gun, you could do a lot worse. I have not, I'm not, you know, currently shopping for anything. So I do not know if there are um, any great, you know, better options. There is one North American Arms makes essentially a copy and I would avoid it. I would go directly to the C camp, pay the extra 50 or 100 bucks and get the right ammo and go with it. One of the other particularities or peculiarities of this pistol, I should say if you have one in the pipe and you drop the rest of that magazine out, in order to eject that round, you need to insert another empty magazine. This will allow you to cycle the action and move out, you know, that daily round. This is another, the lazy man's reason that I favor this pistol. I can keep one in the pipe at all times, put it in, take it directly from my pocket to the safe, the console, what have you. And of course, all guns are always treated as if they are loaded. In this case, this one is actually always loaded. I shouldn't say always. I do download it, you know, for here and there. Um, if I haven't, like, uh, currently, I don't find a lot of a lot of need for it. I'm not running a tremendous amount of diversified sorts of, you know, meetings or errands, what have you. But it's an option. So that's my discussion on backup guns and. Um, Let's hit, we're at 58 minutes, so let's hit the world famous, regionally famous, locally famous, Warhorse Podcast, Criminal of Purpose Exercise. I believe we have a doozy for you this episode. Two parts. I may need a sip of, sip of water before I dive into this. Excuse me. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Part one. Very simple. Question. When was the last time that you walked, not rucked, not hiked on a, you know, manicured trail? with your dog, with your family, with your buddies. 
just by yourself at your own pace for four straight hours on pavement through neighborhoods potentially through a city maybe this is the single and only place that New Yorkers begin to pretend you know just barely might have some tactical acumen I mean those living in New York City evidently they walk a lot um whether that's true or not, I don't know. And they likely have zero tactical acumen. But for our purposes, as explorers and investigators of this, this strange and mysterious, esoteric even, notion put forward by Musashi so long ago, applicable in all times, definitely applicable to the capital T, capital W, Warriors Way. Um, very applicable as well, of course, to, you know, the gorilla. If you are, if you are one who LARPs or gives serious consideration to this particular, I think he's an archetype. I think, I, that's my opinion. You know, that's why I made the design um, and put so much thought into it and I have not really gone into this that whole thing but that might be fun my understanding is that my belief let's say is that the gorilla you know has probably always been a transient ephemeral archetype um, became much clearer, I think, through the world wars. A lot of distinction was added, and a lot of depth was added through stuff like the stay behind teams, Gladi- Gladio, um, the transition that you know often not so perfectly clear between uh, what became I think the SF Special Forces mission and and what was you know the partisans etc what I have found is that in walking and versus hiking you have some for our purposes, you know, you have some considerations to make. As mentioned, I really favor these prana style pants. Do whatever, you know, experiment with whatever. These are the ones, they're super durable. They look good. They, they're very um, nondescript, solid color. And they provide the most motion that I have found. I work out in these pants every day. I wear them to do everything. Nobody notices. Um, nobody sees any difference. I don't work out in, you know, quote, workout clothes. I don't think that that's... The exception, of course, being yoga. Um, there it's just shorts, no shirt. You're going to be sweating so, so, so much that um, while prana pants would get you through the class, may not be... Um, super practical for all day use but 
I also favor some type of, again, stylish, um, zero drop, barefoot style footwear. And while this is this, these two items are much more comfortable than many other options, they are also much more practical than many other options, including boots. Um, I love boots. I have many pairs. I do interchange them, you know, if the weather changes or if that's, um, if it's necessary. If I'm in someplace other than the desert Southwest, um, maybe, you know, essentially tennis shoes or running shoes may not be practical at all. So if you choose to find your own baseline for walking four hours, brisk pace, not meandering, know where you're going, moving through space, preferably at night, you know, is going to give you, I think, the most reward. These guys on 4chan who go on, quote, night walks, I think, they're, I think that's good. I think it's very good. The second they said night walk, I knew, or, you know, that I came across it, I knew exactly what they meant. And I approve. Um, I've gone on many, many night walks myself and, and always been rewarded. You don't, um, at this point in this discussion about the criminal of purpose, you know, hopefully you, you can add what elements you think are required. This dictum or uh, focus, which we've discussed, Jordan Petersonian idea of, um, you know, stealing from the Camelot legend, dispersing from the round table to find this darkest, most terrifying part of the woods in order to enter, thereby will you find the most reward. Am I saying that you, you live in rural Michigan, you should have your partner drop you off um, on some random edge of Detroit and pick you up? You know, no. Hopefully, we're, we're evolving to a point where, you know, um, there's something like, I think they call it an area study Maybe it's just percolating in the back of your mind. Maybe it's very uh, formulaic. Maybe you are working with a guy like um, Forward Observer, uh, Mike Shelby, you know, to do a no shit uh, military grade area study. Outstanding. Having at least um, some familiarity with. I mean, substantial familiarity with your area of operations is 100% crucial, should go without saying. So picking a place to do this exercise, one, you know, you consider it will pop out in your mind. The goal, I believe, is to find just the baseline of what does your body do? How, do you, how does your mind react? Is it settled? Um, are you really finding 
a pace pretty quickly that can be sustained for four hours. I think in doing this myself, there is there's a series of passageways or portals that you are going to encounter. And if you're a runner or something similar, endurance type of, you have experience with endurance type of activities, you know that even if you start at a gentle jog and then you move up to a pace that you're going to keep for 10 to 30 minutes, there's a transition period between those two to where you find your next gear and the stride in that gear. Walking is no different in my experience. Um, Hiking with weight absolutely has its its place. Um, in my experience, there's there are some uh, some physical differences in terms of that stride. So that stride extends from the arch of your foot. And, you know, whether or not you can sense that may be related to the type of footwear that you've been wearing. Uh, All evidence to me points for, you know, in my opinion, points towards this barefoot, months and last, uh, zero drop, grounded sort of approach. I think I've mentioned before, I've been into this for more than a decade. The transition is not necessarily easy. So... Back to the footwear, you know, what do you have in your vehicle other than, you know, the Chelsea boots or whatever that um, take you to work in the club that you can go to immediately, shed whatever you don't need, and then walk for four hours. The mental baseline is another consideration that's These things become sort of stark. And part of the exercise is to remove the stimuli of the phone. Uh, I wouldn't particularly advise or recommend going to the the neon downtown. I would favor, you know, the long, darker boulevards, suburbs. Rural areas can be very tough because... You take your life in your hands walking on the side of the road uh, at any time, even during the day, much less, you know, when Cletus is coming home, two sheets to the wind, shit-faced, and, you know, comes over a blind rise halfway into the, into the gravel. Here's again, you know, make some smart decisions on how to employ this so that you get some benefit. You don't just blast through the exercise yeah I did it take stock of where does your mind turn because you're placing yourself in one of those in in the most natural a very nat maybe not the most but a very natural position uh, where your your instincts want to arise your head wants to go on a swivel you, your body, you know, I have found that when walking, the breath changes and it becomes a definitely like an uplifting thing, personally. 
lots and lots of styles that we can't really address. But um, some people trundle along. These trundlers, in particular, when was the last time that you walked four hours with no breaks, not stopping to get water, not with, you know, even a particular destination? I think that the truth of the answer is, is if we eliminate the groomed trail by day with our dog and our hiking boots and everything that we need, the numbers drop precipitously very quickly and it's not as common as we would think. Before I move into, I think we've, you know, we've fleshed this, fleshed the idea out sufficiently. If you have questions as to the mindset, refer to, I believe it was episodes like six and seven, maybe five. You know, go through them all if you haven't. But um, we've talked specifically about form of walking and the mental possibilities available. We're trying to move away, you know, from saturating ourselves in the metaphysical, spiritual abstract and move into, you know, again, a chapter of a novel very distinctly marked by practicality and getting her done. So check out those those episodes if... uh, you know, mental, the portals available to you that you must seek out before you're ever going to seek out something like the dark entry to the woods, the grail, Uh, much less, you know, um, be dropped into an unknown neighborhood in an apocalyptic nightmare scenario and go and get anything done without it being a grade A clusterfuck. Okay, so we'll leave it at that. I will add between these two, this two part, these two exercises really, um, I am exploring not intensely, but sort of in a, at a leisurely pace, uh, bicycles. I have not really, um, seriously been on a bicycle since I was a kid. Exercise bicycles, sure, but I mean... There's so much out there that you think I would have, I think I resisted it, the, the hipster. This was big with, you know, the, the single gear and all these silly mods and stuff, but none of that was, was grabbing me at the time that I was, the times that I've been around a lot of hipsters, but I may need to uh, deploy my, my experience with them seamlessly integrate with them um you know maybe wear a a western yoked shirt or something like that present myself as one of them and abscond with that knowledge to to arrive at something like you know a tactical bike that's not tactical that's super reliable very well built requires a little or at least simple maintenance 
And I think I've mentioned this before that I have looked into these suitcase bikes and they seem to be improving. I don't really think that's, that's where I want to go because that would ultimately draw a lot of attention. When I think the idea behind a tactical bike is, well, there's many, many, many applications, right? Let your mind wander. In the suburbs, uh, obviously, if you get the right tires and the right build, uh, rural environment, it's very quiet. It requires no fuel. It moves you along and, you know, is a sort of mechanical leverage device that seems to me would provide some pretty substantial advantage um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be exploring this in conjunction with my obsession with walking it also you know like a mule or a horse provides some ability some limited ability to carry gear there may be among you I know that I'm not the first guy to there are already dudes going into the mountains with uh, you know gorilla mindsets, and so I will be I will be trying to pick up whatever they're putting down and put it through the logic phase of the trivium to arrive at potentially you know um, something that would be. Um, What's the phrase I'm looking for? It's, um, you guys know it. It's where you have a distinct tactical advantage. Anyway, um, part two, we'll move on. Part two in the criminal of exercise this evening, episode lucky, lucky number 13. If you availed yourself of episode 12. You will recall a brief mention of basically pruning shears, clippers, etc. I believe I made clear that I favor the plastic handle for weight, though the all-metal ones are really good. Having substantial experience in um, gardening and pruning of various sorts, there are there you know you can pay a hundred dollars and get Japanese shears that will last you your lifetime, or you can roll into Walmart, get the biggest piece of shit on 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 the shelf, and be pretty much okay. Your call. Anytime that I can foresee the use of a hide spot which is the way I do things, you know, the things that interest me, that's most of the time. You know, that's, that's fairly often if I'm going out by myself or in some small group, that's usually, and this has to do with my nature, um, realities of predator and prey, longevity, and skill set. Um, you know, we tend to favor our strengths and at no point, I hope, have I presented myself as, you know, very well-rounded, uh, tactically speaking. I, my humble opinion is that I have a few niche areas that are 
highly advanced or you know highly developed um, and I have some deep experience with a few other things um, but there's a lot there are many missing holes you know and this is probably the case for all of us but this is you know uh, just my experience so these pruning shears would they will come in particularly handy in making a hide you know you can cut your your greenery for hopefully you're moving towards a ghillie hood and maybe not favoring the whole suit so much or you know just for um, whatever clothing you're wearing there's that purpose if you are set up you know on on a ridge and the perfect shot on your your trophy elk requires or you know would be facilitated by the trimming of a few small limbs yeah you can rip them out and be a jackass um, you can also take your knife and do the kind of v-cut uh, you may know what I mean use the two thumbs back of the thumb right up on the blade just go in at a hard V and then go from the other side and that'll do the job but if you want to be surgical there's nothing quite like pruning shears and if the stakes are high surgical is the name of the game in my opinion So another place that these come in very handy, something that I was taught, I guess you could call this a sort of hide. It's also, um, you could call it a layup spot, a place where, you know, you need to take a break. It has been pointed out to me that as, as a singleton, solo operator sort of position, Traveling by night with or without nods may be to your advantage. Even though the proliferation of nods, you know, it's, it's a serious consideration, it is still a minority of normal quote folks who are whipping these out. So you're going to have to use your best judgment. Let's say that you are in the woods and you are potentially being pursued and you need a spot to lay up. In the Northwest, we have blackberry bushes. If you're not familiar with these, um, you know, the base of the stalks can get two inches across and I don't know 20 30 feet long sort of thorny vines and as the years go by the understory dies and yet remains sort of brown kind of brittle skeleton and as kids you know sometimes we would push our way under these and make forts It's interesting how much stuff, um, if you had a halfway decent childhood, 
is very tactical, <laughs> very practical and useful in terms of, you know, uh, screwing around with your buddies, war games, what have you. Hide and go seek even. So you, you may have in your AO, you know, regionally, some type of thorny, viney bush that will suffice. Clearly, we want to avoid stuff like poison oak, poison ivy. I don't, I don't know what all you may be facing. But if you can find some type of dense thicket with thorns, once you get under there, what you're, what you're going to learn is that unless it's been there for many, many years, very few animals will pass through there. Uh, your rabbits a little bit, but something the size of a raccoon, possum will still make its way through there. Raccoon will not. Deer will not. Coyote will not. Out here there are these, you know, wild pigs. They will not. They could bowl their way through, of course, but animals know their area of operations. They have favorites and if you watch trails and you study them, um, much of this can be deduced. This deduction was how this part of this, this exercise, which are, or what is it? A tip, a tactic? It's an exercise because until you do it, it's going to seem silly and maybe, you know, painful. I, I think we glossed over the importance of gloves in the last episode. So I should say that in my vehicle, I have right here at hand, these are, you know, these are pretty half decent mechanics, leather lined, good fit, dura hide they're called. Uh, mainly I favor the climbing gloves a little bit higher end stuff. Uh, Petzl does not fit and I cannot recall the brand that I, I have several pairs. Those are and those are essential kit. So I really kind of didn't do do that episode in full, which we will. We will eventually do a complete granular gear dump that you guys can dissect hopefully and make some and and uh, I should point out I'm grateful for, very grateful, in fact, for the criticism and the feedback, the questions. Gloves was one of them, you know. Do, do you not wear gloves? Oh, shit. Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. If I'm going out um, and I know I'm going to be out, say, more than three days, I usually take two pairs. Something leather, again, that's more going to be used around camp. And then something to operate with. Uh, more form-fitting, more tactile, more expensive. So what you're looking for is hopefully a large thorny bush on the downside of a trail. And you're going to put your gloves on, you're going to grab your shears, and you are going to start wading your way underneath into the 
densest part of this thicket and you are going to cut at the base uh, anything that you need to cut to clear a tubular like pathway. You want an entry and you want an exit. Everything in these discussions is based on the topography, the environment, the microenvironment in which you find yourself as well as all of the other tactical considerations that you can make. If you make your exit downhill, are you gonna make more ground because you have gravity on your side, but are you gonna run into a huge trailing force? Okay, so if you have to go uphill, do you have the juice, the gas, the wind and would it not be maybe better to continue to climb for a while and see if you can find something else? Those are a couple of considerations just as example. I would not recommend going directly into the core. Uh, you'll find that, you know, in a lot of these thorny, viney type bushes, what you're really dealing with is some main core and then a bunch of ancillary plants, tendrils, vines that have rerooted themselves and then popped out further in their expanding dominance. Um, take that into consideration. You don't want to undermine everything so that it collapses on you. You want to form, as I said, two tubular-like pathways. If you were being pursued, pursued, you may consider something on the order of um, the backtrack. Um, as a tracker, I can tell you that the backtrack is not hugely to your advantage as the prey. The best shot you have is let us say that, you know, to build and communicate properly in, in audio, in spoken, without the use of diagrams, be very clear and say that you are headed on a trail north and you find to your east a downward slope and a nice big very off-putting, repellent, thorny, viney bush that no sane creature would ever go into. That's where you're going to make your layup spot. On the west, if you are being pursued, consider jumping off trail, maybe leaving a bit extra. Maybe I wouldn't. Um, I would just do it and, and not, you know, there's a point where the whole point, the whole idea, let's say behind tracking is to run you down until you make a stupid mistake and give the game away. That's really, that's it. That's the trackers bread and butter. Um, until you make a stupid mistake and so grind you down. Therefore, giving a great deal of consideration to 
whether or not you intentionally try and uh, do your ruse here or later, you do three parts, it, you know, it, it's going to be contextual. What I would definitely advise, if you make this jump off, off the trail and you're going to bushwhack it west with the idea that you are going to dogleg and ultimately circle back on your own trail and hop off again over the trail back to the east and then hump up to your thorny spot, right? You're trying to buy yourself some time. Two things I would recommend, uh, in my opinion, go ahead and jump off um, 100 meters maybe beyond your your thorny bush continue west you know a minimum 200 yards 150 farther is probably better then just go wild run here run there run back over it just make a whole mess of your tracks keep in mind where you're going of course hopefully you can you can read the ground and not have too much of a difficulty, you know, getting back down. Because the last thing you want to do is fuck this whole thing up, you know, when it's getting dark and you're tired anyway. And ruin uh, the spot that you're hopefully going to lay up in. So, if it was a squad, we would call this bomb shelling. Uh, everybody just goes out in a different position, creates a lot of confusion for trackers. And this equals time on the tracker's part expended upon putting, you know, re-piecing the puzzle. So do a few forays here and there and then make your dog leg heading south now or potentially southwest nearer to the trail. Turn in east towards your trail and this was the point this is the point where you have as the anti you know anti-tracking option using foliage uh, tree limb brush what have you to gently very very gently drag behind you to obscure your tracks. If it's very dusty, this is easy. You can even sprinkle some leaves, some twigs, what have you, back over. That's ideal, actually, because if you just make a sort of uniform brush stroke over the dust, that's kind of obvious. Very gently, you want to blend everything back together like nothing happened. No footfalls happened here. This, you know, if it's dark, Bust out the flashlight. Nods won't do it. Um, be careful. If it's very rainy, you're either going to have to get in there on hands and knees and do some work because you never know, you know, if the rain gives up, if the rain continues, it may wash away your tracks, but it may not. You can make these sorts of general estimations with with some experience in the woods anyway. The point with this crossing back over, you know, 
your pursuers are now below your hide spot. And what you're hoping is they will continue right past that hide spot at least a few hundred yards, right, before they start to freak out. At the point that you're crossing over south, that is, let's say, below your what's going to be your layup spot or your hide, you could deploy some type of early warning device. Uh, I recently became familiar with this one uh, electronic device, maybe not the best for the woods. I was taught that you know fishing line and rigging up a crushed can with gravel you know is a sort of a last ditch sometimes available to you there's many many ways you can do it there are warning devices for the woods one of your but that you know now what have you done well maybe you got enough time to wake up gain your bearings and begin to situate yourself to deal with this maybe you didn't so there's trade-offs within that um from the movie Spartan comes what I think is an adage, you know, a truism. In the woods, always a sound. In the city, always a reflection. With respect to taking in information from your, your environment and uh, raising your awareness specifically in the woods when a limb is stepped on and cracked it seems very very loud and so if dry snappy limbs are available to you or if they're common to the trail crunchy you know very crunchy leaves are a dead giveaway much much louder it seems in the woods so if you've got those working for you, work them. Do not, you know, I wouldn't waste my time and, pardon me, take the risk of rigging up some type of what, yes, may wake you up or give you some advantage, um, depending on the distances and these sorts of other considerations. It's hard to say. There's no hard and fast rule, in my opinion. Okay. So you've made your crossover, you know, you've done your diversion, and now you are on the low side of the trail, coming up to the haven that you're about to create within this dense, dark, off-putting thicket. Hands and knees, pruners, you cut your, you, you know, you don't want to disturb as little as you can, right? You don't want to cut a giant obvious tunnel that dudes could see from the trail. You can wig, wriggle your way up under there and then begin surgically making your cuts and forming your exit. We discussed a little bit the survival tarp in episode 12. If rain is a consideration, um, you're, it's going to be a little bit drier under there, but 
if you formed the proper tube-like uh, area, you've undermined this bush significant or su sufficient enough that you can use two points, tie up a peak, you know, and you may be able to pin a few corners of your tarp down, and that's going to be all you're going to get. Um, there would be other, um, the Gore-Tex bag, I'm not a fan of it, it just sweats, although that might be a nice solution. You know, if this is just your mode of travel, or if that's all you've got, those would be my recommend recommendations as far as forming your shelter once you get up under this thicket. And again, to be clear, the idea is that you're you're if you choose right, like a really big bush in a, in a sort of gnarly, nasty ravine on the edge of a draw, um, or a spur, excuse me, with no major game trails, the tracker, uh, you know, unless this dude is, and as we've said, or you may have intuited, a really, really good tracker, woods tracker, is a super rare thing to run into in uh, industrial society. So moves like this are working psychologically against that which is hunting you in the sense that part of their mind is just assuming well, that's not a likely avenue. And that, as a tracker, this is what you're trained on. You know, when you don't quite know where the trail goes, the first thing you consider is likely avenues of travel, game trails. The first, uh, you know, one of the further portal-like connections and something you learn in the woods is that there are doors all through the woods and the animals take them. They see these doors framed by two trees or you know a bush and a tree and there right there goes the game trail um, I'll just say you know as commentary there is more value in just going off trail main trail right like the human trail the horse trail what have you and exploring uh, substantial game trails and how that whole thing works in your area of operations or anywhere because everything's different in every different environment as the tracker you are taught that when you arrive to a new area of operations the first thing you're going to do is basically make uh, a little experiment you know you're going to clear some ground you're going to walk through this cleared ground and then study the effects. You, you can add other stuff like you can take a shit in the box, you can piss in it, you can, um, if you have like a, some way to drizzle water across it such that it might be a little bit like rain, you're going to observe this at hourly and then daily and then finally even weekly intervals and take notes 
so that you begin to familiarize yourself. It's not something that you would particularly be able to refer to, you know, um, on a mission. But it does serve to start to build out a picture that if you do operate in this environment for a long time will serve as a beginning, a place to begin uh, to build this more subconscious familiarity where your intuition begins to, to operate. And, you know, that's what I'm really referring to with a really, you know, when we speak of a real, a true tracker or a really good one, there's a, there's not even a handful of guys that are even half good. There's people who have tracking training, but they can't fucking do the job. Just trust me on that one thing. So we are verging. We're coming to a point where, you know, robot dogs and, um, Sarah Connor and the whole, gestalt that that brings you know will be a reality in the not too distant future how those creatures you know will fare in our lifetime who knows I think that uh, the T1 was like it was like 70 years ahead or something at least so there's going to be some relate some discussion related to this in uh, the addendum. At, uh, it's not an episode; it's just the addendum to, I suppose, this episode and episode twelve. It's not, as I said at the beginning, totally classified. However, it is the sort of information that is better kept uh, inside, you know, for as long as possible. So if the feds want to go ahead and get a subscription, that's fine. You know, they already have this information. Uh, My preference would just be that putting together a couple of dots, data dots, uh, for as as long as can be done uh, to provide listeners of this podcast with as many advantages as possible in um, an unknown or uncertain, very likely hostile future um, where a fellow who knows his way through the woods I think is going to, and I mean really knows his way. I don't mean, again, fucking Cletus who can go bass fishing off the edge of the truck. I don't mean even the, the ranch hand or the farmer. I mean specifically the type of borderline batshit stuff that we just went over jumping off trail, etc., etc., diving under, uh, you know, a bush that is designed to keep you away, and then utilizing this to your advantage. Um, that's, that's more what I'm talking about. And again, you know, I'm um, not in any way attempting to overstep you know, or, uh, insinuate that I, that I have, you know, super, uh, what's the term? Um, I'm failing to remember the famous, uh, oh yeah, SOG, 
you know. Did those guys know shit? I think they did. But I don't think that the modern military, your basic guy who's eating out of an MRE with a spare tire on his ass and, you know, avoiding everything actually martial about the military in favor of the fucking KFC or, you know, my, my benefits. You know, there's no need to fear these people um, at all. And in a lot of ways, what we're looking at is a sort of race between technology and the human heart. Um, so hopefully those, I can leave those threads, excuse me, you know, laying on the, on the audio grounds for you and you can put those, those together. But that was all to say, there will be more discussion, um, if you're interested in this sort of thing within the addendum and that is only available to subscribers. So we will give some details. We'll definitely be giving away the goods on it. And um, if any of my subscribers give you those goods, that is entirely up to them. But um, we would greatly appreciate your support, my family, my expanding family, and myself attempting to use this platform to build a viable revenue stream and uh, in turn provide you, the listener, the subscriber, with information very soon, uh, interviews and discussion. There's, you may not believe it, but there's much, much more coming. There are some um, mind-numbing collaborations on the horizon that I hardly even feel worthy of, honestly. I'm uh, very honored to, to be participating in even these, you know, kind of exploratory phases, um, as well as, you know, as, as stated earlier, the next, quote, chapter of this ongoing podcast novel you know, I think of Bologna 2666. If you have read this novel, you will be aware that there are there is a two it's like an eight hundred, I think, page book, and there is a solid two hundred pages in the middle that is nothing but dry reports, no commentary, no nothing, of the Machiadora Maquiadores uh, murders down in Juarez, which is all germane to the rest of the novel, of course, but the first part and the, the end part are, are written in prose. You know, there's a story, there are characters, they're making actions, etc. But you have this, an obstacle, if you will, in the middle that functions in many, many ways I do think Bolaño is one of the few, it's not that there aren't that many, you know, but what gets pushed out for most people to read, Clive, fucking whoever, you know, if you see it in an airport, I would skip it. But that doesn't mean that there aren't great novelists and great works. Quintus Curtis made a point, and so I want to be clear that there, there is good work being done on the novel in modernity. The issue 
is that the big players, as I found out in a very painful journey, uh, do not care about how good it is. The only consideration, there are, well, there are actually two. One, are you part of the political coalition that we favor, and does your work pertain to that milieu, that you know, uh, the propaganda angle? And you'd, you'd almost want to say, is it bereft of actual depth? Because, I mean, if you're on that train, it's going to be pretty tough to... And I have run into people who have depth, but tried to weave their... You know, basically write a false story such that they just get published. Not, I'm not so sure how many of them are really out there. I think that there's actually a, a glimmer, just a very a faint flicker of people who are novelists, who are somewhat established, say they published with a big house. Um, it's not going to be Jonathan Franzen or one of these other douchebags who's, um, you know, built for this ultra-mundane, banal, pure dog shit. There is, don't get me wrong, I would say that the vast, vast majority of what is out there is absolute pure dog shit. It's insulting, it's condescending, it's boring, it's devoid of both heart and action. Um, at best, it, it adheres to, you know, again, some type of platonic ideal of the novel. Maybe it, you know, uses the, uh, some Joseph Campbell or what have you. But it, it, that's nothing. So what? You know, a freshman college student can do that sort of shit. It's nothing. This was all to say that Bolaño, Roberto Bolaño, did have a pretty sweet... He had a couple very pretty darn good books. At least I liked them. And um, insofar as this podcast is... That's all I can really reliably produce is, you know, uh, within the framework of my own my own limitations as a novelist. So... Consider, you know, that there might be this very clear demarcation between what we just did and then what we do next, and there may be another one and another one and another one um, in store. So I hope that, you know, will be a very useful and actually valuable uh, way to way to operate going forward. We will see. All right, so non-subscribers. One hour and 54 minutes. I'm tempted to hit you with six solid minutes of um, goldengoatguild.net, 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 but we won't. I really do appreciate you listening thus far. I think that if you made it to these exercises, you will find that you're not really going to run into a lot of discussion like this um, elsewhere. And so make your way to Patreon, navigate the system, pick a tier, and support. If not, please spread the word, pass this around. There's no reason, in my opinion, why um, some serious you know, ground cannot be taken right now in podcast world, particularly because things are changing, and we will get into things are changing 
in uh, what I guess now will be hour three, but you know the the occulted and esoteric subscriber only section. So subscribers, please hang with me. I'll hit you with some audio, um, some musical musings, and I'll be right back. Thank you. <laughs> 